0: twice a week, 225, um, and as usual on Thursday, words twice a week, a series of introductory thoughts on the l- scripture texts for Sunday, presented as a bulleted list, and I use this sound to represent the uh, bullet points and the start of a new thought. First backspace, backspace to 223, it was the birthday of George Friedrich Handel of the Messiah fame, with due respect to all productions past, present, and future, The most exciting one we ever experienced was Too Hot to Handle in Denver a couple of years ago. That was really fun. You can catch last year's 7-Minute Hallelujah Project on Facebook. There's a link on the website. Or you could order a full-length CD from earlier years, or I suppose if you search around, you can probably find it on YouTube, like just about anything else these days. And note, this is not Too Hot to Handle, a reality show TV series where apparently young men and women in skimpy attire have to forgo sex to earn money. Nor is it uh, She's Too Hot to Handle. A 1977 sexy adventure film has international hit lady Chafaro involved in James Bondish escapades in Manila. And note this is not Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, which is a dynamite song, but never really seems all that religious to me. But maybe that's just me. Maybe you have to sink deeper into it. Anyway, Hallelujah for Handel, for the Messiah, and lots more. Then this week's challenge, write a short fiction, 280 characters or less of the gospel story. Here's what I got. Uh, We were drifting along, power running roughshod over truth. The lamp of justice flickering, kindness getting lost in self-interest, humility overshadowed by bluster, in short, temperature dropping, wind rising, darkness falling, we were heading for Texas. Love came knocking. Mm -hmm. I still suspect you could do better than that one. So finally then, here are some thoughts on some of the lectionary texts for this Sunday. Genesis 17, 1-7, 15-16. Abraham becomes Abram becomes Abraham, Sarai becomes Sarah. Abraham Abram was ninety-nine years old. Does that mean Abraham and Sarah were one year old when Isaac was born? Note Abram was seventy-five years old when God first appeared and promised land to the sojourner and descendants to the childless. Twenty-four years is a long time to wait. We were married fourteen years when Christopher was born, and that seemed like a long time. I am God Almighty. First time Abram hears this name of God, Walter Brueggemann notes that the divine name contrasts nicely with the body-given despair of this old couple. Do you have a favorite among the many names of God and what body weariness are you experiencing and how does one of the divine names contrast with it? Should be the ancestor of many nations. I was just reading something climate related I think that said, where most, our most important task is to be a good ancestor. Hmm. Man, it used to be that I would remember where I read something like that. Walk before me and be blameless. Um, temporary English version says do right. If you, be a do, if you wanna do right all night woman, you gotta be a do right all night man. Well, this is not a matter of moral purity, but rather of loyalty. Verse 7, God will keep this promise because he, she, is God. And that's what God does. So the infertility is, in fact, the theological problem because God had promised a child 24 years ago. The tension between the infertility and the promise of a child mirrors the tension and the promise of land to the sojourner. Then I was listening to a podcast about a book Land, How the Hunger for Ownership Shaped the Modern World by Simon Winchester, about the concept of land ownership and how it is different among different peoples, especially indigenous peoples. Think Chief Seattle, how can you sell the land? He also noted that, for example, in Scandinavia, people are allowed to wander on private land as long as they behave well. Does that maybe color our thoughts to some extent when we read about God giving the land to Abraham, especially when it had belonged to someone else. And just a little pet peeve aside here, when you search for that book title, five of the first seven results are Amazon, and one is Goodreads, which is owned by Amazon. Does anyone else feel somewhat smothered by Amazon? God's promise provides protection and resources for an open future, even for us, a new possible future that we could never devise for ourselves. And note that we are still dealing in family stories. The faith comes down to us through families, and our families pass it on to others. Did your faith come through your family? My favorite line in this story is just a few verses on when Abraham says, Why not just let Ishmael be my heir? Child in the arms is worth two in the dreams or eyes, especially after 24 years Psalm 22, 23 to 31. It's the second half of Psalm 22. The first half is a lament over hardship. This half is a word of promise. The state of helplessness does not imply God's ire or disapproval. When the psalmist called from helplessness, God did not turn away, but answered. Note this is not some interior feeling, but for when the people gather. kind of gathering is working for you these days youtube zoom phone calls emails cards notes verse 26 the poor shall eat and be satisfied because the psalmist as an integral part of his or her praise activity is sharing food with them the psalmist offers testimony as a part of the celebration in general terms, which the individual could then fit into their specific situation. Testimony moves into the realm of preaching or proclamation. Does testimony make preaching more relevant, interesting, significant, moving, believable for you? If you were gonna give your testimony, what would you say? God is in control, the ruler of the nations. How's that working out today? Numbers 30 and 31, future generations. Again, be a good ancestor. Romans 4 13 to 25, Paul explains how the promise rested on Abraham's faith, not on his works. Sometimes I think, just say it, don't explain it, but that's just me. God is the one who gives life, who opens possibilities, so faith is giving room for God to work. What's that mean for Abraham and Sarah? Where might that come into play in your life? The joke about the person who kept praying to win the lottery and finally God said, give me a break. You've got to uh, buy a ticket. God does what God has promised, not just what we want. Even if two or more aren't together? This all has to do with God who raised Jesus from the dead. So Abraham is not a hero. Well, he is, but that's not what this is about. For believing, which would be works, God is the hero for doing so Abraham can believe. Like I say, sometimes I just believe it. Don't try to understand it. Mark 8, 31, 38, first of three passion predictions in the gospel, each of which is followed by a story showing that the disciples aren't really getting it. Going back a few verses, Peter proclaims, you are the Messiah, and Jesus corrects, don't tell anyone, Now Jesus proclaims, teaches what being the Messiah means, and Peter corrects, this shall not happen to you. And then Jesus corrects, get behind me, Satan. Note this was not speaking stories or parables. He said this openly. Jesus began to teach them. So this is something they have not heard before. They are unprepared to hear. Get behind me, Satan. Well, obviously the Satan part is bad. To get behind me. Jesus called them by saying, come behind me, and is about to say to the crowd, those who would come behind me. So how does that sound to you? Go away or get in line? Setting the mind on human things or divine things, how do you tell them apart? Or thinking like God versus thinking like humans, how do you think like God? Pick up your cross and follow. If you try to save your life, yourself, your soul, you will lose. What could you give to get back your soul? Powerful, if familiar, words. Don't be ashamed of me. Be loyal. And this from Fred Craddock, the rather elaborate reference to suffering, rejection, and death, in contrast to the very brief mention of resurrection is significant. The same proportion holds at the end of this gospel, clearly, Mark does not want his church to use Easter to escape Lent and Good Friday. Then at the heart of the Passion prediction is rejection by the religious establishment, both lay and clergy. That must have been the sharpest pain of all. Whether the cross-bearing Christ still suffers such a fate is a judgment each one has to make. One popular preacher recently explained his approach by saying, you cannot succeed preaching the cross. People do not want to hear that. They already have enough problems. <laughs> no wonder he is popular. Passage included both private to the 12, instruction and in public to the crowd. Suffering and sacrifice are not just terms, items of first century history, but are inherent in the gospel. That's what I got for now.